millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Before we start, this episode has some explicit language and mentions sexual violence and might not be suitable for all listeners. On the tip-off, we hear from expert journalists from all over the world. People who have dedicated their lives to trying to tell unreported stories honestly and with an objective distance. But there are some stories that warrant a different approach. I'm Maeve McLennigan. This is The Tip-Off. I've written about homelessness and housing issues for years. I even wrote a book, No Fixed Abode, about one of my investigations. So I was fascinated when I heard that one amazing homelessness support organisation was delving into the world of journalism itself. And my name's Jenny McNeil. I'm the project manager for the Listen Up project at Groundswell. Groundswell works with people with experience of homelessness and we offer opportunities to contribute to society and create solutions to homelessness. Participation's really at our core uh, and that's because the experience of homelessness is really crucial in making decisions that affect lives. Jenny, along with her teammates at Groundswell, had been working away when Covid hit and changed everything. Suddenly, it was a lot harder to hear back from the cohort of people they were trying to reach and work with. So they had an idea. So the COVID monitoring project, as it was known, wanted to do something really innovative. And Groundswell started to work with On Our Radar, and they specialise in working with community journalists. So the project started by recruiting uh, community reporters, all with experience of homelessness. And we supported them with training uh, and gave them mobile phones to report on uh, their stories about how COVID was affecting their lives. Working with the organisation On Our Radar, they set up a platform to allow people who were experiencing homelessness to easily feed in reports on how the pandemic was affecting them. It was such a success that even after the initial focus on COVID, they decided to keep going. And so the Listen Up Hub was born. Our reporters um, tell stories in the ways that they want to. Um, So they might capture stories um, through quick audio messages, they might take films, they might use a range of methods to produce their stories. And those stories then come through to our team. And we look through the stories and we we upload those onto our new homelessness hub. So 
every reporter on our homelessness hub has a, a profile and their stories are, are showcased on on the hub and we share these widely um, with decision makers through our mailing list through social media we really want to elevate the, the voices of, of reporters we the stories that we get they really challenge stereotypes of homelessness it's a great project but one that's only as good as the reporters who take part so who are they one is a woman called karen she first heard of the project when a friend asked to talk to her. I was interviewed by Steve, who is my, a friend of mine, um, and he interviewed me. That, that's how, the, you know, it, it all started, really. Karen had met this guy when they both attended the same group for alcohol addiction, and they'd remained friends. Steve was now part of the Groundswell project and was talking to people he knew about homelessness and issues surrounding it. And there was something about talking to Steve, someone who understood where she was coming from, that helped Karen open up. It felt um, it felt quite natural um, because I, I knew Steve anyway, and we both understand addiction and recovery and, and, and all that. So I, I felt on par with him. You know, we were, we were both on the same level. This was the first time Karen had ever been interviewed, but she found she had a lot to talk about. And I was, it was in lockdown and I was on the phone trying to get through to the doctors and I couldn't get through. And um, they changed the format. So it was press this button, press that button. And then it kept cutting me off and I, I was really getting irate. And Steve just said to me, oh, can I interview you on that, you know? Here's a clip from Karen's interview. So 8am Monday morning, um, I rang the doctors, only to be completely cut off. Uh, no, explain, no, no explanation why I was cut off, just just cut off. So I kept ringing back and ringing back and ringing back. Um, and, and as I'm doing this, I'm getting more bloody angry. Uh, my anxiety was, was, was getting worse, you know. Um, I'm in recovery, you know, I'm an alcoholic. Um, in a couple of weeks, God willing, I'll be five years sober. Um, but I have to be careful, um, um, you know, because it's it's the small pebbles that, that catch uh, anyone in addiction that, you know, that we trip up. Uh, we can deal with the big boulders. It's the, the tiny little things in life that, you know, we have to be careful for. Steve recorded the interview with Karen and it was posted online on the Listen Up Hub's website. It was such a fun experience that Karen joined the project and started reporting on a range of things about homelessness and addiction. And as she did, she probed her own experience further. She began to understand more and more about her own life. Over time, she came to realise that she had experienced some forms of homelessness herself. When I was in my teens... Um... Me and my dad, um, we just, we really didn't get on. He was a very strict, you know, dad. And I was already drinking. When I look back, I was all, already drinking heavily. So I did a lot of sofa surfing. There was a lot of arguments and him throwing me out or I'd leave, you know. Um, that was in my teens. And then in my um, mid-40s, obviously, you know, alcohol, alcoholism is a progressive illness. So, you know, it never gets any any easier, any better. Um, so in my mid-40s, I was well into my addiction. 
and um, just through circumstances again with a with a boyfriend he'd had enough of me um, and I lived in the attic of a pub uh, which isn't ideal when you're an alcoholic but I didn't class myself as as being homeless because I wasn't on the street and that's where you know I said in one of my reports was I deluded or just ignorant you know maybe not ignorant but um, uneducated about you know about homelessness and I think that's a a lot of people in society they just they don't know they've not been educated and the more she understood the more she realized many of the stories that she saw online or in the news didn't reflect the complexity of that reality the majority of the population were misinformed with homelessness um, and how we interpret it and and it's like the blinkers are off now and i'm sort of seeing seeing the world for, for, for how it is. Um, and I'm realising that, you know, some programmes um, and, and, and some, some news channels, they sort of, when, when they talk about homelessness, they, they just immediately, you see someone in a sleeping bag on the, you know, on the street, and that's not what homelessness is about. You know, there's, um, there's thousands of reasons why that person's on the streets, but also... I didn't realise that people that are in prison and in rehabs and um, and in refuges and th- places like that, they're all homeless, you know. Soon, Karen was publishing story after story. One was about how the UK is moving towards a more and more cashless society where we rely on contactless payments. I just think if there was no cash about, and I put in report, you know, what what about the man on the street that's asking for change? And also, what what about the addict that that needs to score? You know, uh, drug dealers aren't going to take, you know, sort of contactless money. So it it just, um, I just felt, again, that the the most vulnerable um, in society will suffer. So Karen is really getting into the reporting filing one story after another, all inspired by her own experiences. Another of the Listen Up reporters is a woman who we're calling Hannah. And I am a 44-year-old disabled lady who's got lived experience of homelessness, um, domestic abuse, family court, social services. So I have a long-term severe complex mental illness. I have a personality disorder and I have complex PTSD and I also have some physical illnesses. And um, I work with the Listen Up Project telling stories, mainly about my own experience, but I intertwine the um, stories of the women that I work with and support. Hannah has a wealth of experience, both from her own life and through the work she does. I um, I volunteer as an art therapist in an um, acute ward in a local psychiatric hospital. Um, and many of the women um, there, um, if they weren't homeless before they went into hospital, they've been made homeless by the very fact of being sectioned. Um, and also, uh, it's important to add that pretty much every single one of the women are um, black, young and poor. Hannah had been working on projects with Groundswell for a while. And then one day, one of the organisers mentioned this Listen Up project, a chance to report her own stories. 
Now, Hannah watches the news on TV, but sometimes she's frustrated by the focus that certain topics do or don't get. Take the war in Ukraine. Now, Hannah knows those people's suffering should be told. She's part Ukrainian herself, she says. But the dominance of the news is a reminder of, first and foremost, people care about Ukrainians because they're white. And I say this as a white woman. Um, And second of all, people do not care about poor people in this country. They never have and they never will. They see this as a rich island. And if you're poor in this country, it's your own fault. And that poverty is something that Hannah thinks is missing from the dialogue, not just on the news, but in various different contexts. I do a lot of work in um, mental health and um, around homelessness and 99% of the time they're interlinked. And every single meeting that I sit on to give my lived experience, etc., poverty is never discussed. Poverty is never mentioned. Well, how, you know, everyone wrings their hands. How did this happen? We've no idea and we just don't know. And it's like poverty, 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 every single time, every single time. Because when you look at um, mental illness, mental illness is not exclusively for the working class. Mental illness is a problem in the brain. But if you have money, not only do you more obviously pay for private therapy or nice holidays. You also might have a nanny. You might have a cleaner. You might have, um, your children might have after-school clubs, you know, so they're a bit more entertained. You might be able to pay for some um, babysitting at the weekend, you know. Uh, At the time that I was very unwell, not being supported and being beaten up and raped a lot of the time I tell it like it is I was also really poor I was also really poor and I was really struggling so Hannah has started reporting on these things telling stories inspired by her own experiences and the people she works with and for one brilliant report highlights the importance of libraries so I wrote a piece about my passion of libraries and how the government is trying to close libraries behind the back door Um, and I live in Brixton and the library is huge. And pre-COVID, the library was full of teenage black boys. Absolutely full of teenage black boys. The library and the council and the youth group did a fantastic campaign. They made a section and they filled it with books, but also what they knew a lot of teenage boys are reading is manga. So they have a massive manga section and the boys are safe, not just from the gangs, but they're also safe from the police. Here's a clip from that report that Hannah published. I've gone there to use the internet and I haven't had any data on my phone and I've been able to research where I can go to a food bank when I also haven't had food. I've gone there for human companionship after my children were taken and I was living alone in a bedsit in Wood Green. I've gone there to distract my mind when my mental health's been playing up and the books have soothed me. The art, the poetry, the philosophy. I've had access to books in a way that I felt safe, not lingering around in Waterstones feeling guilty. Libraries are such an important part of our community and they are trying to close them by the back door. 
The reaction to the story was so strong that she published a follow-up piece, exploring the idea further. Like Karen, working as a reporter has taught Hannah more about the relationship between journalist and interviewee, the power imbalance, even if unintentional, that exists in those relationships. An awful lot of people don't take into account when working with people with mental illness that they're, regardless of any drug addiction, the prescription drugs have a very, you know, you often can't really, you're not really with it till about 11 o'clock, you know. You might wake up at six (laughs) o'clock because of nightmares, but you might be groggy for the whole morning, you know. But that's a really embarrassing thing to explain. And I think one that more journalists should consider. Um, I think the location of the interview, how does the person get there? How easy is it for them to get there? But a little empathy and thought given to what the interviewee might be going through can go a long way to making it a comfortable, respectful experience. Like, how did this person get here today? What was their journey to get here? Were they literally going down the back of the sofa for the bus fare? Did they have any breakfast? These questions are so important for journalists to ask before they speak to anybody. You know, and I, and I also think that there is a lack of consideration given when journalists are in a rush and they turn up with their big Starbucks and their croissant in the paper bag. They're showing their wealth, you know. Because if you have a large coffee and a croissant, you know, it's probably about five or six pounds, which is a huge amount of money to someone who's poor. I... I think these things are so important and they're so often missed. So, as well as producing their reports, Hannah and Karen are coming to learn more about how journalism can, and arguably should, be done. They keep going, talking to people, filing stories. But they're not just left to their own devices. That could get them into trouble with their reporting. Each journalist works with one of the organisers, who acts as a mentor. They record their report. I record stories on my phone. I write stories and then I read them out. Um, I sometimes put in quotes from different people um, that are always anonymous. We have a group chat where we discuss ideas between each other. Groundswell actually got me a little keyboard, so when I'm at home... Um, I'll, I use this, the keyboard uh, and type it up. I just do it on notepad to start off with, just jot down a few ideas randomly. Um, then I, I just go back to it time and time again and, you know, delete stuff, add stuff, change it about. Once they are ready, the reporters send their recordings to the central hub. Um, and it's it's looked at in depth, you know, so... Um, my mentor will probably look at the grammar, uh, punctuation, that type of thing, you know, and just polish it up for me. It's very well organised, even though it's 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 um, lived experience. They also, you know, go through it really with a fine tooth comb. But what about those who say reporting should be clinical, objective, unemotional and reserved? I would disagree. I think um, I personally love reading stories that I have no knowledge of and it's a completely different world to me and that that person has some lived experience of that. And I just feel that if if you've actually lived through it, that report comes from 
your heart, what it does with me, it comes from within, you know, because I've been there. Um, I've done it, you know, I can empathise with people. And I, yeah, I just think it's got a bit more clout. Watching the stories go up online, be listened to, shared, acknowledged. Both women say it feels good. It's really exciting. And then some of them have been shared on Twitter and had really good feedback. For me, it's a bit of a wow moment um, because I've got quite low self-esteem. And a lot of people don't, don't think that because I come across as being very confident. But I've, um, you know, I never actually feel good enough. So when I see these reports and I get some fantastic feedback, it's just really encouraging. Karen knows what she hopes for the project. You know, hopefully we will get the message across to the decision makers to, to make a change um, and, and, you know, hopefully rid the country of homelessness because it's, um, it's inhumane. You know, our, our mission statement is um, to, to make people aware of homelessness and what it means and how people become homeless and change the stereotypes and everything. Hannah has similar hopes. What I hope to try to do is to tell stories that everybody can relate to and connect with, even if they don't have lived experience, because I want everyone to care about homelessness and domestic violence and racist police and different vulnerable groups. And most people don't care the things they don't understand and that they can't connect to. So what I want to try and do is to pull you in and say, this is my experience. Which part do you relate to? Because I need you all to understand that you too one day could, you know, thereby go the grace of God or whatever the expression is. I'm, <laughs> but it's like most people don't realise that vulnerability and poverty and homelessness and mental health is shit that happens and shit that can happen to anybody. And when you feel very comfortable and smug in your life you could be in for a rude awakening one day <laughs> and it's you know covid was a little wake-up call for lots of people in their comfortable bubbles right a big wake-up call that's all for this episode of the tip-off do go to the listen up hub take a look a listen a read of some of these amazing stories you can even sign up to their mailing list to hear more it's journalism but done in a different way. This show is a co-production of Studio To Be. Our co-executive producers are Joaquim Alvarado and Ken Akeda. Maeve McClendigan, that's me, created this podcast. I also handled audio editing and sound design on this episode. Dice Muse composed our theme tune. Claudia Meza makes original music for the show. And as always... Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.